So will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much just for another day, a day to, to worship your name, to hear from your word, to be transformed by your, your goodness, by your love and your grace. Help us today to hear your message, to allow it to, to affect our lives, to not harden our hearts, but to be softened by it so that we may be molded to be more like you, Jesus. Thank you that you never give up on us. You never just wash your hands of us. You're never done with us, but yet you, you keep pursuing us. You keep loving us. And God, I just pray right now that you would help us to put away the distractions, turn off the notifications, and allow us to hear your good message today. And it's your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I've been excited about this, uh, this series. Uh, a couple months ago, Russ came to Martina and I as we were kind of getting together and talking about this series. And he talked about the kingdom of God. And I have been excited about this for months, actually. Um, not, not that last series was bad, but I have to admit that through that whole series, I was constantly looking forward to this one. Uh, and so I get to kind of kick it off. Russ started it last week, but I'm diving into uh, the first part of the Bible uh, through uh, Genesis, Exodus, and Deuteronomy. And we're going to be looking at where we see the kingdom of God. And what's amazing is we're just going to start right at the beginning. Uh, in Genesis, kind of like where Russ was at last week, uh, Genesis, we see this amazing, uh, as the song said, God's glory in his creation, right? The, his kingdom in his creation. And as he creates everything, we see that it is perfect, it is good. We see God, through his power, creates everything. And then he puts a place in order for his people to dwell with. He has created the kingdom of God in the garden. And so it's perfect. It's great. Everything's good until chapter 3, where humanity decides to uh, create for themselves a new kingdom. They, they, they see what God has created, and yet they want to be their own kings and queens. They want to be their own judges. And so they take from the fruit of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil, and they want to be the ones who decide what's right and wrong on their own terms. So Adam and Eve, unfortunately, sin. And then they, they, are, they leave the garden. They no longer wanted to be a part of God's kingdom, and so God allows them to exit. And he, he kicks them out. But God's not done with humanity. He doesn't just say, forget it, I'm done, I'm tired of it. We did all this work, and they messed it up just a couple days in. Instead, he uh, reinvests. He, he goes deeper. He starts to reach out once again, and, and he's going to continue to do this all through the years, even up to today. But the fact is, is we are too far gone. Humanity continues to just degrade and degrade. And, and what's interesting is as we look at Genesis 4, and I want to invite you to turn there, Genesis 4, we're going to be there for just a moment. But we're going to see how God starts to relate to humanity. These are the first children of Adam and Eve, and they are going to um, connect with God in a whole different way than we see Adam and Eve at first relating to God. And so we see uh, Cain and Abel, they come to God, it says, uh, starting in verse uh, 2, the second half of verse 2, going to 10 in chapter 4 of Genesis, it says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. 
So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will not, uh, you will not be accepted. Wait, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. When faced with the kingdom of God, Cain does not like God's judgment on his life. He doesn't like that when God saw him, he said, you got a problem. You got an issue that you need to work on, Cain. See, your anger is overtaking you. You're sinning. And it wasn't really like we look at this, and in the past I've, I've heard people talk about like, oh, see, God likes meat more than he likes vegetables. I was like, I don't think that's the point. I think that's true, but, I, you know, <laughs> it's just based on taste and what God did with our mouth. Um, but I don't think that was the point of the scripture. I think that it was something with where, where Cain's heart was at. He went to, to God and he felt self-righteous, apparently. He, he, was, he felt like he was in the right. And so when God says, that's not what I'm looking for, he's furious. And so he tries to take control. He takes his human power and he, he asserts his authority over his brother and he kills him. And he says, I am, I am king. I am judge. I am executioner. And I will, I will put forth my judgment on this. I think it's interesting how quickly, as we dive into this sin thing, that murder becomes a part of our nature in humanity. It's the first kids. And yet, their first thing that they're going to do is kill one another. Or more so, Cain to Abel. Murder becomes a part of our story. We don't just dabble with sin. We, We sunk straight to the bottom. And that is the status, that is the status, more so, of our heart is we don't just slowly get into sin. Our hearts are wicked. We need help. We need a redeemer. See, Cain chose the same uh, kingdom that his parents had chosen. The chose, he chose the kingdom of humanity to, to be the kings for themselves. He, he wanted to, to rule himself. And so he, he is uh, serving the kingdom of evil, of selfishness, of pride and hate. You know, the problem with this kingdom and the most common thing with this kingdom is the, 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 the lie that they all believe is they don't need God. I don't need God. I don't need him in my life. That's what Abel is believing right here. He has the authority. You know, we see this same kind of kingdom being built up today. We just give it different names. We see... Uh, groups of people who say, oh, we don't need God anymore. You know, that was thinking for way back then, for them trying to explain how things worked way back then. They didn't have all the science, all the knowledge, all the wisdom that we have today. And so uh, we can explain why things work now. So we trust in science or philosophy or knowledge or whatever. These are the things that we have now today. So we don't need God to explain our world or the way that things work or why we are the way we are. The problem with those things 
is that each one of those, when you look at them closely, when you truly hold them up and put them to the test, all fail. You know, science is great at explaining how things work sometimes, but they don't, it never answers why things work. Why is it is the way that it is? Why do we say that something is good? Science can't answer that. They might say, oh, well, you know, where the tribes all believe this and this and this and this, and they have this, all this whole thinking that you just start to look at and you say, that doesn't make any sense. And they're like, just don't look at it too closely. But when you hold any of these things up, science, philosophy, knowledge, and you say, this is what makes us the reason that we are, the way that we are, they all fall apart. And none of them satisfy this longing that we have within ourselves to say that we were built for something more. That's the real problem. None of them satisfy that hunger to say this life cannot be it. This is all, not all that it was made for. Because if this was all that we have, if this is all that we got, how depressing, how sad. We wonder why our country is struggling with depression so much. You see the withdrawal of God's kingdom. You see the withdrawal of us wanting to be a part of God's kingdom more so as a nation. You wonder why that's ramping up. When we try to trust our lives and ourselves to anything else but God's kingdom, it always falls apart. The kingdom, that kingdom is full of lies. And then, you know, we kind of continue down this path as we follow the, the story of Genesis, of building up our own kingdom, of wanting to be great. And we see that humanity keeps plunging down the, the rabbit hole of sin. Up until this man named Abram. Abram is a man who uh, shows interest in wanting to follow God. He, he wants to follow God. And what's amazing is, is God jumps on that right away. The moment that, uh, Abram is, is willing to follow God, God goes to him and he, he calls him out and he says, I'm going to do something with you. I want you to follow me. And it's important as you read the, New, the Old Testament more so, to understand that each of the people that you read in the Old Testament, they're not perfect. Now, I think sometimes we highlight some of the, the people in the Old Testament, and we forget that they have a troubled past somewhere in their story. They are not perfect people. They are not the example of be like, be like David. Well, maybe don't read the second half of his story, right? No, don't be like David. Don't be like Abram. I mean, he lied about his wife and let his wife go off with uh, uh, rulers and, until God was like, nope, stop that, and brought her back. Abram was, was not always truthful. He has a checkered past. So many of these characters have a trust checkered past. But what I love about that, what I love about that is they're real people. They have real problems. They're not perfect, but what you see is a perfect God uh, going and getting involved in their story and starting to redeem them and start to bring them back to what the original order was, him being a part of their life, his kingdom reigning in their life. What hope we can gain from that is that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You just have to be willing to trust him, to walk with him, to follow him, to take his correction. You don't have to have it all together, and God will use you. If you use these guys, he can use you. That's one of the great and hopeful things that we can take away from this, these stories. What, we want to, what I want you to understand is this is not a progression of humanity. As some people would say, that humans are progressing so much more. We're so much more aware of our morals and how things should be. No, we're not. 
What this is is not a progression of humanity. It's a restoration of a relationship. It's God restoring us back to what we should have been from the very beginning. That's what God is doing all through, through uh, our history. And so I want to ask you to turn to Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, and we're going to be looking at the promise, the covenant that God makes with Abram as he is willing to follow God. And so this is what the word of the Lord says, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and, I, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So notice God is promising here, kind of what Pastor Russ talked about last week. He's talking to him about God's power. God's saying, I will do this for you. I will do this in your life. He's saying God's power is going to be a part of his life, that God is going to provide a place for Abram to go for his people, right? All those three things that Russ talked about last week being the kingdom of God. And so that's what God is providing for Abram is that he will be a part of the kingdom of God, that he will establish the kingdom of God there and be uh, a part of that. But the problem is, is the people do not understand how to be a part of the kingdom of God yet. And you see all through Abram's story and then his son and then his son's story, there's still a lot of deception, a lot of deceit, a lot of problems happening, and they don't know how to live out being a part of God's people and his plan. And so at one moment, he uh, escapes, the, the people of God escape to Egypt, and they, they live there for a long time, and, and they grow in their numbers. They, they continue to grow, and they get so numerous that the Egyptians start to worry about these people group, this people group that's going to overtake them. They're going to overpopulate, and so they make a power move and enslave these people, the Israelites. And so they, he enslaves them, they enslave them, and then they dominate them, they rule over them, and they stay there for generations, generations and generations. That's where God's people are. Until a man named Moses, who has a crazy story about being rescued by himself, but he is off in a, a, a country land, hanging out, hiding away, and God comes to him. And so I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to be. And uh, we see that God is going to use Moses to rescue his people. And so this is what that, the, the verses say. It says, there, uh, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush, or within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he uh, had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for this is a place, uh, the place where you stand is holy ground. Then the Lord said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard their cries, their crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God reaches out to Moses and says, I'm going to use you to free my people, to use you to, to rescue them. Now, the interesting question is, these people have been slaves for a very long time. They've been having a long uh, go about having a hard life. So the question is, why is God moving now? What, why didn't God just like in the very beginning, as soon as the Egyptians uh, did this bad thing, didn't he just jump in right then and rescue them? Well, I think we can uh, get a little bit of the answer based upon what God does with them after this. And we start to understand that God has been waiting for them, as he says here, to cry out. To cry out to him. To say, God, we need you. We need a miracle. God, please get involved in this situation. We have no other uh, options about us. We, we don't have any authority ourselves. We don't have any way out except you. And so, God, please rescue us. God is helping the Israelites understand that even though they have a problem with Egypt, that they are actually captives in a much larger way. They are captive to sin. They are enslaved to sin. And Egypt in this story is kind of representing that. They're, they're representing sin, dominating over their lives, enslaving them, capturing them, and they cannot get away no matter what they do, no matter how good they try to be, no matter what uh, efforts or powers or, or knowledge or wisdom or anything that they throw at it, they cannot get away from their sin nature enslaving them, and they need help. And God is trying to help them understand, you need a savior. See, the, the thing is, is that he's trying to help them understand they, they, he needs, they need help to break the true enslavement of sin, the chains around them. And that is only going to happen truly through Jesus. See, Jesus will come and he will sacrifice his perfect life for us, to provide the way for us to enter the kingdom of God. And that's what he's trying to help the Israelites to understand. You need a rescuer. Look for this redeemer. Be hungry for this redeemer. And Moses, through the story, is going to represent and point towards Jesus that will come. It's the battle between God and the other kingdom, the earthly kingdom, the sinful kingdom. It's not truly that Egypt is evil, necessarily. It's not like we go to Egypt now and we're like, these people, right? No, we, we see God loves Egyptians, right? But in this story, at this moment, this history moment, they are representing what's wrong with humanity. They are representing in this story sin. Pharaoh is representing the power of humanity and, and the wisdom and knowledge of the, the tree of good and evil. That's what he's representing. And God clashes with that, and God dominates them, and he, 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 he takes them so far down that the Egyptians at the end of the story of Exodus are begging for God's people to be released. They're like, go, get out of here, so much so that they are giving them gifts. They're like, here, you want this? Take it with you. We don't need it. Just please go, go. And they're blessing the, the, for the freedom of their slaves. That's what God can do. He can transform people's stories so much so 
that he does the impossible for the Egyptians to bless the Israelites on their way out like that. God is using his power to free his people, and he's taking them to a new place where they can worship and be a part of his kingdom. See, Israelite, as kind of what Tim was saying, God at this moment could have set up the Israel kingdom and and, and just been like, this is where we're going to build everything. I'm going to just blow this out. It's going to be great, and this is where I will dwell. And he did that for a time, but Israel is supposed to point towards the kingdom of God. It's It's a representation at that moment to the true kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. So the story continues, and God, in his amazing story, that I encourage you all to read through Exodus. In fact, I believe the women are studying Exodus. God is asserting his power over Egypt, but really over sin, and taking uh, down Pharaoh. And God takes it down, bringing it down to his knees. This victory happens, but also points towards the victory that God will have over sin as well, through Jesus. This victory points to the victory God provides the way to the kingdom. But the Israelites are not there yet. They still got a long ways to go. They're not ready to just be a part of the kingdom necessarily. God is slowly, again, reintroducing what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so I invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to go. As God starts to give instructions to his people about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this is what it says. It says, These are the commands, decrees, the laws, the Lord your God directed me, this is Moses talking, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long, a long life. Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may ensure, increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God and your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God is calling out to his people, saying, you are going to be different. Patrick uh, uh, Schreiner, sorry, I try to remember how to say his name. Patrick Schreiner referenced him last week. He wrote a book on the kingdom of God, and uh, he's actually, we kind of framed some of this series on Uh, But in his book, he talked about, I have a couple quotes for him that I want to put up for you, that the Mosaic Covenant demonstrates God's determination to advance his kingdom on the earth through his people. The law given at Sinai directs, guides, and instructs the people in their spread of justice and peace, which is shalom, um, the worship of uh, him, God. Thus, Moses commands parents to teach their children the Torah because their repentance of, uh, or their retention of the land is dependent upon it. So he's saying there that God is, is giving to these people the commands, the decrees, the laws on how we, uh, they ought to live, more so, how they ought to live as being a part of the kingdom of God, and that they are going to live differently because of that. That they're going to look differently because of that. 
And so we need to understand that God is telling us uh, what is good. He's trying to instruct him. You know, what got us in trouble is saying for ourselves, we can decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And what God is doing through the Torah is he's saying, no, here is the true knowledge about what is good and evil. Here's the line that I'm drawing for you. This is what being holy means. And so part of being a part of God's people is trusting God with that knowledge to say, God, you know way more than me that I am, I am just a moment here and then I'm gone, but you are all knowing, you are all powerful. And so I trust you and your word to have final authority over my life because you know so much more than me. Patrick, again, points out that God is not just making for himself a people group and saying, yeah, these group will be my group. Uh, He's actually working with these people group to be a redeemed group. Uh, Another quote, he says, the kingdom includes people, but they are not just, uh, but they must be a remade people, different from their forefathers who rejected uh, God's kingdom. God remakes his people through the Torah and sacrifice. Fortunately, the law also points to how they failed to be kings and queens, to enter the presence of God, to be the people of God, to be in the place of God, to be the kingdom of priests and holy nation, blood must be poured out, for they cannot keep his precepts. See, the law points to the fact that we cannot be perfect. It sets the boundaries and says, this is what perfection is, and we fail every time. And the sacrifices that he established points to the fact that we need a redeemer, that we need help. And he wants the people to understand what it means to be holy and the fact that we are not that. And we need to be redeemed, to be restored to the kingdom of God. And what I love is he's saying the promise is not just for those people back then. It's not just for that moment. It's for generation after generation after generation. Teach your kids this, their kids, and their kids' kids. And so the the generation, the the, the kingdom of God that is being talked about here is the same kingdom that Jesus will then later talk about uh, when he's here on earth and he preaches the kingdom of God. And it is the same kingdom that is moving and taking ground today. This kingdom has been there from the very beginning. It's not a new concept that Jesus brought up. It's been there from the very beginning, slowly retaking ground on earth. What I love about this is that it really shows that we as Christians should stick out, that we should look different. That's what this is all, all talking about, is that we should look different. And I was thinking about this. You know, when I go to a different country, when I'm in Asia, I stick out, right? I don't blend in in Asia. I, I, people look at me and they're like, American. And I'm like, yep, I'm an American. And when I went to Costa Rica, they even defined it even better because Costa Rica is, is America. And so we went down to Costa Rica and they looked at me and they said, from the U.S., and I said, yes, I'm from the U.S., I stick out, right, um, I, I speak English, I'm a bigger dude, right, like, you know, <laughs> I've kind of stick out there, and so, um, but even to get even more dialed in, when I go visit my family on the East Coast, they look at me, and they say, I can tell you're from California, I'm like, what does that mean, and they're like, your accent, and I was like, what, I don't have an accent. You know, I'm I'm from California. We don't have accents. We just speak correctly. You're the ones doing it wrong, right? They don't like that joke. But but really, we as citizens of the kingdom of God should also stick out in that same way where people look at us and they say, you know, you're different. 
You look different. You do things differently. You have different customs. You have different desires. You have different ambitions. Our, cust- our customs and traditions should look different than the world. Our family values should look different than the world. The fact that we love people that like, are completely different than us in so many different ways. The fact that we care deeply for one another, not because we have so many similarities, but because we all serve the same God. The fact that we value Jesus and we understand that we serve a living God and that we want to, to care for one another, not because we're great people, but because he first loved us. And that's why we love each other. That's what drives us. And the world looks at that and says, that's weird. And we say, yes, I know. Come understand why. So you can meet the one who redeemed us, our King, Jesus. We look different. Our food should taste different because it's full of more love. We should just be a different people. And people should take notice of that. That we are actually, first and foremost, loyal to the kingdom of God. What I want to invite everyone here to understand is God is still pushing his kingdom forward. We see this as we explore through all the scriptures, as we continue on. This is just the very beginning. We're going to go all the way to the end of of the Bible and look at where we see the kingdom of God constantly through the scriptures. And God is still pushing his kingdom forward. See, we are God's people here today, living under God's saving power in a place to do his goodwill. We are here together to do God's goodwill. The kingdom of God is not far off one day we'll get there. It is here today as well. So I have a few questions that I want to end with, and that is, if you are not sure if you are part of this kingdom of God, I want to explain to you what that means. See, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, believe that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he lived a perfect life, a perfect life. He, He nailed it. He did everything right. And instead of at the end of that perfect life saying, See, I did it. Like God at the end of his life could have easily looked at everyone and said, I did this, why can't you? But instead of doing that, he trades his perfect life for us. He sacrifices his life for us and says, I'm going to give my perfect life away so it covers your sins. All you have to do is believe in him, that he is the Messiah. He is the son of God. And cry out to him and say, God, forgive me of my sins and help me live a new life in you, powered by you, drawn to you, transformed by you, God. If you are willing to do that, then you can be a part of the kingdom of God. And what's amazing is we're not just citizens. We're not just people who get to float in, migrate in. No, he calls us sons and daughters. He calls us, we're adopted into the family. We have ownership of the kingdom. That's what he offers us. And so if you've never experienced that, if you've never known what that means, I want to invite you to talk to me after service or talk to one of the elders here. You got Aaron back there, Cody's over there. We would love to talk to you because what I want you to understand is, is being a part of the kingdom of God, following Jesus, it's more than just a prayer. It's not just I'm going to pray this prayer and that's it. It's a whole transformation of your life, and we want to walk with you through that. And so if you don't know what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, We want to talk to you. We want to walk with you. We want to journey with you through that. If you call yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a citizen of the kingdom of God, I have a few questions for you as well. My first question is this. 
which kingdom directs most of your life? Which kingdom directs the decisions that you make in your life? Is it God's kingdom or is it humanity's? Is it the normal? Is it trying to fit in with everyone else? Which kingdom directs most of the choices that you make in your life? How does it affect you? Do people notice that you are a Christian, that you are a part of this kingdom of God? Do they see that you're a foreigner in this land? Like, do you stick out that much, or do you blend in pretty nicely? I ask you to raise a question about where you're at with that and start to see, God, how can I start to change the way that I, I do my life so that I reflect more of you in it? So that I may start to raise curiosity in those people around me to say, why are you different? And you can start to share the good news. You know, I, I'm, I never go against anyone who wants to go out there and share the good news, but I, I always think that more than we care about putting on big events out there, and those things are good, is I think that through each and every one of you, God wants to do something amazing, and you are the ones to share the good news. It's not the church's responsibility as a group, although we do that, to get out there and evangelize, but you through your life, through living your life differently than the world, should be evangelizing with your life. Just simply answering questions. Scripture says, always be ready to, to give testimony, to give the reason why the, uh, you, the hope that you have inside. To live that out, to always be ready to be able to share that. Part of the reason is because we look differently, and God knows that if you look different, if you, if you live differently, then people are going to ask you. And always be ready to share that with people around you. You know, we will never be perfect. We will never be perfect. We'll never arrive at perfection. But the goal that I want to set before you and that I'm going to challenge you guys to, to ask yourself through this week is how can you live more for God's kingdom today than you did yesterday? How can you just push into it a little bit more? What things can you give up just a tiny bit more so that God can dwell in your life, that he can reign in your life just a bit more today than you did yesterday? And if you do that each and every day for the rest of your life, oh man, the places he will take you. All the things that he will change in your life. We are, are part of what we're doing now is, uh, I want to invite the worship team to come forward and get ready. Um, but we are reading through the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to invite us to, we're going to read that together here in just a minute. But as we read through it, one of the things that sticks out to me, and you can put it up, Christian, uh, is uh, I, I love this phrase that it says that your, uh, the, your uh, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of the prayer. Your will be done on earth, here right now, just the same way that it is constantly done in heaven. That's my prayer for each and every one of us, that we would push into that. That what would it look like for you to follow God right now the exact same way, with the exact same intentionality, with the, with the exact focus as you will in heaven? Not holding back, not reserving anything, fully involved in every part of your life. What would it look like for you to live that way? And so I want you to invite you as to stand up, and we're going to read this together, and I'm going to read the English, and Martin, you can read the Spanish. And make this your prayer, not just for today, but through this series and through, through your life. And so I want to invite you to read this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For you is in the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.